Get out of here, Dewey. What are y'all doing in here? It's called cocaine, and you don't want no part of this shit. Cocaine? What's it do? It turns all your bad feelings into good feelings. It's a nightmare. I'm thinking maybe I'd like to try me some of that cocaine. Second key to success in this racket is this little lady right here. It's called cocaine. Right. It will keep you sharp between the ears. It'll also help your fingers dial faster. I snorted cocaine for about 15 years. My dumb ass. I must have snorted up Peru. I could have bought Peru all the shit I snorted. I started off snorting little tiny pinches. Said I know I ain't gonna get hooked. My friends have been snorting 15 years. They ain't hooked. I need a glass of water. I need a credit card. I need a $100 bill. I, I, I got a 20. She'll do. How did all of this trouble begin? Living in America. <laughs> nothing wrong. Nothing wrong at all. You're not in any difficulty, but you're out on bond. No, I'm not. Yeah. Your fans will have read all about this, James. Aren't you concerned about that? No, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned because there's nothing wrong. And what are you going to say to your fans when they ask you some questions about it? I'm going to say I feel good. I almost got a brand new bag. It's a man's world. Cocaine is not good for you, and it does not make people act cool. I don't know, man. I was banging seven gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed, I have one gear. Go. The women love you when you get out there. Why is that, lady? Well, I'm asking you. Huh? Because I look you good. You I look smell good. good. I yeah. feel good. And you sing good. And make love good. Oh. Well, there we are. We don't have to ask anybody else. We got that from the source. <laughs> there, there you are. And one time I was making a smoothie, you know, because I, you know, I have, I got like a new, I don't know what kind of blender it is, but it's pretty nice. And I was making like a nice smoothie and I'm fucking coked up. I'm partying, you know, mm. I'm living high on the hog. Got two vests on maybe, right? Um, and I ended up uh, doing coke all night driving a taxi. I was in a taxi. The driver, this dude Luigi, next thing you know, I'm driving a taxi. He's in the back with the hooker. Showed up and banged on the door and Mike Tyson opened it. Like, he's like, cool if I come in? Like, yeah, I can get in here. And then he's like, you got any coke? And I was like, yeah, dude, I have a lot. <laughs> yeah. I am so fucked up on that little line I did. Like, I was electrified. Like, it was 8 1980s coke. My hairs was sticking up. My pupils were dilated. And all I could taste is a Budweiser in a can. Yeah. And I get in the car and I'm out there jawing my brains out. I had to hide the fucking coke in the spare tire. What's going, what, you hear something? Like, you know, it was never... <laughs> was he, it was, there'd be a line out, he'd do it, and then it's like, check the closets. It was, it was no good time in between, <sighs> you know, the line and, you know, checking the closet. Well, that coke chain habit's mighty bad. It's the first old habit that I ever had. Take a whiff on me, take a whiff on me, take a whiff on me, all you round 
Lots of people think it's a myth, but it's true that Coca-Cola started out with cocaine as an active ingredient. Cocaine was first used as a medicine that was administered to children and even pregnant women. They didn't know what we know about cocaine, and so they thought it was perfect to put in wine, and yes, even beverages like Coca-Cola. People have it coming from all sides. Doctors are recommending it for every ailment. It's sold in drinks and drops. On top of that, Celebrities of the time, including Queen Victoria and Jules Verne, endorse its use. It's no surprise that more and more cases start popping up where people are just plain addicted. Coca-Cola started getting rid of the cocaine about 1902. That's a couple of years before cocaine was actually prohibited in 1914. While cocaine is no longer used, the coca leaf is still an integral part of the drink. Here's what Coca-Cola did. Coca-Cola seeks out coca leaves with the active cocaine removed. Using spent leaves, Coca-Cola can still keep their flavor as close to the original as possible. Did Coca-Cola ever try to take the coca leaves out of their formula? Uh, yeah, well, it's been reported that the 1985 New Coke formula that we now know is a famous disaster, that was an attempt for Coca-Cola to remove the coca that was politically problematic. You've been pretty open about the fact that you were a cocaine addict for yeah, a while. Yeah, right. How's that affected your life? I grew up in the 60s and the 70s, and there was a completely different attitude about it back then. But, you know, I kept roaring on. You know, I was basically doing cocaine pretty much on a daily basis during the 80s. Wow. I'd spent many, many uh, a night uh, screaming at God to please take this away from me. I'll never do it again because I've only got an hour before I have to be at work. And, uh, at about four o'clock in the afternoon, I would go, that's not so bad. I had a, what I call a white light experience where I saw myself uh, either dead or losing everything that meant anything to me. I discovered cocaine by somebody who came out of the woodwork and brought me a chunk of cocaine this big with my initials on it. I'd never done it before and I tried it and bam, whoa. whoa. I was taken by the addiction. I said a prayer once going to work, a prayer of anger and yelling. 
take this away from me. Don't let me think of these people. Take them away. The next day, I had no desire to call up any of the dealers. It was just gone. But then I relapsed. I OD'd on May the 3rd, 1995. Today's 2013. You do the math. I've been clean for 17, 18, 19 years. Cocaine was my devil that I danced with in my life. The devil's been sent away, and now I dance with nothing but angels. You were in a very serious motorcycle accident. What do you remember about it? My bike hit sand and fish sailed, and I hit the front brake and flipped over and hit my head on the curb. Split my skull wide open to there, knocked a hole in it that big, and I landed at the feet of a police officer. They picked me up, got me on the table, and about two hours later, the surgery was over. And at one time, they had me under 12 layers of drugs and strapped down to a metal table naked in the mental health alert ward because they were going to cuckoo nest me. And that's when I said a prayer and my ability to think. And I felt a white cloak come around me, and I called that cloak faith. And that's what got me out of the hospital two and a half months early. My brain got altered in a way that's not normal. And I have a different way of looking at things and feeling things. And I know how special life is. Hi, I'm Dr. George Northrup. I'm a psychiatrist and addiction specialist based in Tampa, Florida. Today, we're going to discuss how to spot a cocaine addict. Sometimes it's very easy to spot a cocaine addict. Person's got white powder all over their face, that one's pretty obvious. However, that's not usually how this happens. Cocaine addiction and cocaine use are usually done in some sort of secret, especially if they're starting to cause problems. The kinds of things you might notice in a cocaine addict is the behaviors directly related to cocaine. Those types of behaviors include increased talking, increased irritation or irritableness, agitation, uh, and anxiety. Changes in sleeping patterns might be evident as well. The Peruvian marching powder, the devil's dandruff. It's a nice thing though, cocaine, mm, what a wonderful drug. Anything that makes you paranoid and impotent, give me more of that. We're back again, we were discussing cocaine for a brief moment. The sound crapped up, but that's why I'm using Sapaza sound. No one wants their tapes back, I wonder why. We're talking about how cocaine basically affects you. There's also something called freebasing. It's not free. It costs you your house. It should be called home basing. <laughs> Here's a little warning sign if you have a cocaine problem. First of all, if you come home to your house, you have no furniture, and your cat's going, I'm out of here, prick. Warning. <laughs> Number two, if you have this dream where you're doing cocaine in your sleep, and you can't fall asleep, and you're doing cocaine in your sleep, and you can't fall asleep, and you wake up and you're doing cocaine, bingo. <laughs> Number three. If on your tax form it says $50,000 for snacks, mayday. <laughs> you got yourself a cocaine problem, smartass. <laughs> and everybody's doing cocaine. Maybe if Japanese people did cocaine, it'd be like, ah, Samu, I'm looking at the How vividly can you remember falling into the trap in the first place with, with cocaine and alcohol? Because... I don't vividly remember anything from <laughs> It's like there is this thing for alcoholics called a blackout, which isn't really a blackout. It's more like sleepwalking with activities. And I believe it's your conscience going into a witness protection program, going, you're about to have sex with a hobbit. I've got to go now. Good luck. I'm checking out. I'm leaving the body on, but we're not going to remember anything. Good luck to you. Take care. But do you remember getting into it? Getting into it? No. Was I remember it a gradual that, thing? Or? Yeah, it was very gradual. It was just, and you're off, you know? Oh, yes. You're off yeah. and running. 
and then the alcohol kicked in and decided, and then eventually you realize, I can't. I remember stopping it on my own because I was about to have a son, and I didn't want to be coked up going, hey, Dad loves you. Here's a little switch. I'm going to throw up on you. You know, you don't want to be like that. And I had to kind of go, but I did it alone. So that was why it was, you know, 20 years without any help. Of course, there are people who would say, why did you ever need cocaine? You, you're, yeah, it's a bit redundant. You're, you're, as, you're as fast without it as, as, totally. the, as the heaviest cocaine addict would Yeah, yeah, it. it's that weird thing. But I think I did it because it would, it would actually allow me not to talk. It was like, you know, reverse medication, you know, why they give Ritalin to hyperactive children is that idea of kind of, oh, okay, I don't have to talk to people. It just kind of shuts you down, mm. which is, a, you know, word self-medication. And I've read that your friend uh, John Belushi's death uh, yeah. from, from an overdose was that scares you. a bit of a rude shock for you. Totally. And that, but, but more importantly, my son. I think that was the beginning of kind of, you know, thinking outside the box of you've got a responsibility and it's more than you. I mean, addiction specialists, you've seen them all coming out in the last few months. I've been around them for 22 years. Right. They've been lying to me for two decades. Right. Well, and we'll come to that. But the premise of their argument with you is that you're in some kind of denial about this. And actually, you've never really stopped and thought, I've got to sort myself out properly. That if you do follow their programs, they can work. And lots of people would be watching this saying, it worked for me. And then I can have a life like theirs? I'm going to pass. Really? So why? Why? Because I'm a winner, and their lives look like they're, you know, ruled by losers. I mean, just to put it in black and white terms, I don't, want, I don't want their lives, and they want mine, but they want to criticize the hell out of it, you know? And now they've, they've run the gamut from, like, okay, he's not loaded, now what? Oh, he's manic. I don't even know what that means. Uh, that, I guess, would imply that there's going to be a crash. I don't know when that's coming, but maybe you can cover it when it does. Yes, good morning again, George. And he claims no drugs right now, but we did talk a lot about his past drug use. Charlie Sheen has never been more candid about it and makes no excuses for it. He also shared with us some of what really happened that night last month when he was rushed to the hospital after a drug-filled night with porn stars. Your anger and your hate, I think, is coming off as erratic to people. Passion, my passion. Okay, your passion is coming off as erratic to people. Right, well, you borrow my brain for five seconds and just be like, dude, can't handle it. Unplug this bastard. Yeah, because it just, it fires in a way that is, um, I don't know, maybe not from this particular uh, terrestrial uh, realm. I think some of those things that you're putting out there are making people think something's wrong with you. That's, that's up to, that has nothing to do with me, really. I mean, they're, they're entitled to, I suppose interpret stuff um, as they must. Some are, a doctor of. What some are, are saying of? that you're bipolar. Wow, what does that mean? <clears throat> I guess that, you know, you're on two ends of the spectrum. Wow, and then what? What's the cure? Medicine? Make me like them? Not gonna happen. I'm bi-winning. I win here and I win there. Now what? If I'm bipolar, aren't there moments where a guy like crashes and like in the corner like, oh my God, it's all my mom's fault. Shut up, shut up. Stop, move forward. Winning. When was the last time you used? Use, uh, see, I don't use, I use a blender, I use a vacuum cleaner, I use, uh, you, know, I, you know, household items. Uh, when was the last time I ingested or took drugs? Yes, when yeah, was the last time you a, took drugs? Such an AA, stupid um, expression or term. I don't remember. I do not remember. A week ago, two weeks Maybe ago, two days ago. a month ago, ago, six weeks. I don't know. I don't know. It was a couple days before the suits rolled in and said, change it, change everything, we're shutting you down. Tell me about the last time... You took drugs. You know, the last time I took drugs, um, I probably took more than, than, than anybody could survive. You know. What are we um, talking about? How much? I don't know, man. I was banging seven gram rocks and finishing them because that's how I roll. I have one speed. I have one gear. Go. How so, do you survive that? Because I'm, because I'm me. 
because I'm me. I'm different. I just have a different constitution. I have a different brain. I have a different heart. I have a different, you know, I get tiger blood, man. You don't worry that you're going to die when you take that many drugs? Dying's for fools. But you're Dying's only human. Now, there's certain blends I will not, I will not entertain because that's how people go down. I'm, I'm, I'm too, smart, too smart to do that. So, you know, I'm sorry for the guys that that happened to, but, you know, you should have uh, read the directions before you showed up at the party, you know. So you have, actually have a strategy about how you take your drugs? Um, no, I just have a couple of rules. I don't know if it's a strategy. Are you worried you're going to relapse? No. Why? Because I'm not going to, period, the end. <laughs> but how do you I blinked know? And I blinked and I cured my brain. That's how. Everybody has the power just because everybody, you know, can't is the cancer of happen. Mm -hmm. Can't is the cancer of happen. I can't do it. The Nike slogan doesn't say, just try it. Oh, okay. Just try it. No, just do it, man. But you love to party. I mean, what's not to love? How do Especially you... when you see how I party, man. It was epic. The run I was on made Sinatra, Flynn, Jagger, Richards, all of them just look like, you know, droopy-eyed, armless children. When you look back at the last time you used drugs, mm -hmm. do you, are you disgusted with yourself? Or do you no, think, how no, could I'm, I have done that? I'm proud of what I've created. It was radical. You're proud of that party moment? Of course. Why wouldn't I be? Drugs? No, I, I, Why would I, you be? Because I, I, I expose people to magic. I expose them to something they're never otherwise going to see in their boring, normal lives. And I gave that to them. I may forget about them tomorrow, but they'll live with that memory for the rest of their lives. And that's a gift, man. One of the women said that she was afraid she might OD. One of the women who was here. What's that got to do with me? Almighty, almighty, this is PBR Street Gang. Do you copy? Over. PBR Street Gang is almighty, almighty. I copy. Over. <laughs> Well, Charlie Sheen, you haven't uh, been back with us uh, since about a year and a few months ago with your message to President Obama, your 20 minutes with the uh, president that we just re-aired before you uh, joined us. It's uh, great to have you, Charlie. Um, what's your it's take? Still, it's still topical. It's a, it's, a, it's a timeless message. Well, it certainly is. What's your uh, message to uh, President Obama uh, refusing to answer the uh, bullet points uh, that you put down uh, in that key document of the questions surrounding the tragic attacks of 9-11? Well, I would say to, 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 to B.O., <laughs> uh, like, like, how much faith can I possibly have in you to run this entire country when, when uh, 20 questions from a high school dropout sitcom actor appear to be too much to handle for you and your staff? It's like uh, you've had almost two years to deal with this. I wrote them in one hour, and it's like, you know, sorry, but you, sir, are obviously a, a coward in a cheap suit. And the what? bottom line, Alex, is I'm still here. His schedule is public knowledge. It's, it's rocket science. This is not. Quit hiding. It's embarrassing, dude. Next subject. The questions, Mr. President. The questions. Building 7 ablaze at the moment and apparently getting ready to collapse. Building 7, freefall collapse. Well, no, there's number 7 coming down. The excitement and the fun that people get watching an old building being demolished and they wired very carefully for days and it's a very careful operation. The Pentagon, vanishing airplane. From my close-up inspection, uh, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. The only site uh, is the actual uh, site of the building that's crashed in. And as I said, the only pieces left uh, that you can see are, are small enough that you could pick up in your hand. Uh, there are no large uh, tail sections, wing sections, uh, a fuselage, nothing like that anywhere around, which would indicate that the entire plane crashed into the side of the Pentagon. Firefighters and police describing explosions, a lot of them. Secondary explosion. We've got numerous people coming.
covered with dust from the secondary explosion. Just floor by floor, it's sort of popping out. It was like, it was if, if they had detonated. Yeah, you know, detonated. If they were planned yeah. to take down a building. Boom, 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 boom. Looks sort of like the building just demolished. Even if there was no secondary explosives in the building. Kind of like gunfire. You know, bang, 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 bang. And then, and then all of a sudden, three big explosions. Do you know if it was an explosion or if it was a building collapse? To me, it sounded like it. To me, it sounded like an explosion. Chief Albert Turry told me that he tried to get his men out as quickly as he could, but he said that there was another explosion which took place, and then an hour after, there was another explosion in one of the towers here. Good afternoon, Mr. President. I come to you today representing the families of the victims of September 11th, as well as millions of my fellow Americans. Hopefully by now you've had a chance to read my letter to you, 20 minutes with the president. And if not, at least had its contents brought to your attention. We have questions, Mr. President. Lots of questions. Well, we did a lot of research for those 20 questions. Things like, Mr. President, six of the ten commissioners and most of the lawyers on the 9-11 Commission say that the official story is a lie. Please respond to this. Or, why did Building 7 fall at free fall speed? Please respond to this. But they don't want to respond to it. Yeah, well, I think just, um, I think somebody is running at him right now with a, with a, with a tape recording of what I just spoke and said, they're, they're on to us, man. He's back. We <laughs> thought he was dead. Nice try, fellas. We have been overwhelmed by the thousands of passionate emails that we've been getting. We're going to read some of them, a lot of them, throughout the next hour. Well, today, Sheen called in once again to The Jones Show. He had more to say. In just a moment, I'll be speaking with Alex live. But first, let's listen to what Sheen had to say today about 9-11, about his critics, and about Showbiz Tonight. I had a sense that, um, that this thing was going to get hot. I, um, I didn't realize that, as you say, it was going to go supernova. Charlie Sheen's comments on a possible 9-11 conspiracy have definitely gone supernova. And this star is earning both criticism and praise. Calling into Alex Jones' radio show today, Sheen was sure to heap his own praise on Showbiz Tonight for being the first major news outlet to bring Sheen's 9-11 comments to light. I have to tip my hat to CNN, to Showbiz Tonight, to A.J. Hammer uh, for having the courage, for having the guts, for having the wherewithal to give someone like myself, someone like you, the actual time uh, and the focus to, uh, to examine these issues. Uh, I think this is the most attention in mainstream coverage that this topic has ever received. The response we got today to the incredible story Showbiz Tonight broke last night. Showbiz Tonight has been on top of this firestorm since it began Monday when Sheen called Alex Jones' radio program to speculate that maybe we weren't hearing the real story behind 9-11. It seems to me like, you know, 19 amateurs with box cutters taking over four uh, commercial airliners and hitting 75% of their targets. That feels like a conspiracy theory. But speaking on the radio today, an angry Sheen went after those who, responding to his 9-11 statements, are now attacking his wild and controversial past. And the majority of them, in fact, 90% of them, um, were attacking me personally, were attacking my credibility. I am a citizen that loves my country. And as a citizen, um, 
with that with my passion for this great country um, I demand that, that I be challenged on the facts not on uh, you know immature behavior from 20 years ago but if they continue to attack me personally it only gives credence to our side of the argument Sheen is making crystal clear that this is something he's going to continue to speak out about people want the truth they want the truth and what's been offered to us uh, resembles nothing of the sort Joining me live tonight, the guy who Charlie Sheen has been speaking with on the radio. I'm talking about Alex Jones, who's joining me live from Austin, Texas. Alex, welcome back to Showbiz Tonight. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you being here. So let's talk about the fact that people are going after Charlie. We've gotten a lot of emails where, where people are attempting to attack his credibility. That's the natural thing that's going to happen. They're talking about things that happened a long time ago. What about this? Is his past at all a liability as you see it, or are these attacks basically going to backfire? Let me just say this. CNN had a poll a year ago, 90% uh, on CNN, on the Anderson Cooper show, believe the government's covering up 9-11 and may be involved. Your new poll, five minutes ago before showtime, 81% of over 20,000 respondents, 81% agree with Charlie Sheen, as I told you. And they've had many other polls with other news services, and we get the same type of numbers. On my own talk show and other talk shows I've done, we get the same response. You have a minority that won't face the facts. Listen, Charlie Sheen is the first person to go public. He's just the first Hollywood person and to have the courage to do what he's doing. We have former Reagan administration officials. We have former Bush senior officials. We have the current chief economist from George Bush's current administration who quit just a couple of years ago and has gone public, and he says the government carried out the attacks. But German, but of, but of German course, defense ministers, members of British sure, uh, sure. Of, of, of Blair's Alex, cabinet have quit. Alex, as a Hollywood guy, you know, with a sordid past that he owns up to, and it's well behind him, it's going to be an easy attack point. So to do, what I'm, what I'm asking, you what is, he says is, don't believe me, check out the facts. Go look at the evidence. Don't believe the attack dogs. Just It, it isn't about Charlie Sheen or Alex Jones or A.J. Hammer. Right. It's about NORAD standing down. It's about bombs in the buildings. It's about Pentagon documents saying they wanted to carry out these attacks and blame it on foreign enemies. This is all public. That's why all these physicists and politicians and people are, and congresswomen, Cynthia McKinney, uh, went public three years ago saying there's a cover-up, very suspicious, called for a real investigation. But there it's, are, there it, are hundreds of prominent people. They just never get attention. It's getting Charlie a lot of attention Sheen. now. And Charlie, Charlie Sheen came on your show the other day, and, and he was back on today. We know what's going on here at CNN and at Showbiz Tonight because of the thousands of emails that we've been getting. So, so let me ask you this. What do you think now that there is this sort of forward momentum? What do you think is going to happen now that hasn't happened before as a result of this new level of attention? Well, I mean, Americans love celebrity, and the average American is obsessed with it more than anybody in the world except maybe the Japanese. And, 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 and he selflessly... Uh, sacrifice, you know, is sacrificing himself to be attacked just to get people talking and looking at it because he told me he loves his children just like I do. Listen, I get death threats over this stuff, but ideas are bulletproof. And the New World Order better stop carrying out terror attacks. We've caught them over 200 times in the last 100 years. Western government's doing this. Hitler does it. The British do it. The Russians did it. Governments do this. They or And I'm not saying the whole government. Very small, criminal, black op, black world is what they're called, operation operators are carrying this out. That's the facts. Please, go investigate it, ladies and gentlemen. You will discover the truth. Look at America. It's turning into a police state. Well, let's, putting let's, cameras in school bathrooms.
bathrooms. Let's bring it back to what's happening this week and what you and I have been talking about. Uh, and, and yesterday on this program, you told me Charlie Sheen, not alone among Hollywood celebrities. You told me that you were, while well, you wouldn't name names, you're in touch with quite a few celebrities who feel the same way that Charlie feels about what may have actually happened on 9-11. So, so my question is, do you think since we've had this uproar this week and Charlie is taking this risk and speaking out, we're going to be hearing from more celebrities who will go public? Well, I mean, the majority of the American people support Mr. Sheen, despite the attack dogs. He's winning uh, the uh, you know war of polls. And literally, almost everyone I talk to in Hollywood, very prominent people, I have a lot of friends in Hollywood, and, and, and they've all sought me out. I'm not some Hollywood person. Is, over is the anyone, years, is anyone over indicating the years, to you that they may actually come forward? And I asked you yesterday, I'm going to ask you again, can you tell us a couple of the names of those people? No, because I have, uh, they have confidence in me, and, and I'm not even pushing them to go public. I okay. didn't push, do you, do you sense I didn't they push may go Charlie public? to go public. Do you sense uh, that, that Yes, I think you're going to see, yes, I think you're going to see more people, and some of them may be people I don't even know. Listen, everybody in Hollywood I talk to, pick a name, any name, I've talked to hundreds of them, okay? They seek me out, they're aware of it, they talk about it, they're so, constantly so you aware. So you clearly have a lot of supporters, uh, of course. And, and you're very familiar with this end of it. We've gotten the thousands of emails this week, and not all of them, Alex, are, are glowing. Obviously, you, you get but the your same. Poll, you get your the poll same is thing. Eighty-one percent. I'm, I'm right with now. you. What on is it right now? I'm with you on that. I, I, I don't know at this very moment. We're going to get into that in just a second. But of course, when this happens, we do get emails saying, "Oh, you know, uh, we think that people like Charlie Sheen and Alex Jones are whack jobs." Are you at all concerned that the louder you raise your voices, the whacker you might seem to those people? You know what? You know what? No, I'm not worried because we have put the facts out there and I challenge them instead of just using little buzzwords and junior high mentality propaganda to actually go look at my claims. Is a current Bush administration official, has he quit and said the government ran the attacks? Yes. Did, more, did Dr. Morgan Reynolds say that, Chief Economist, Department of Labor? Is Dr. Paul Craig Roberts, the father of Reaganomics, the father of it, who was at the highest levels of the Treasury and the Bush administration, has he gone public saying he questions 9-11? Sir, the American people are going to learn the truth. Happy almost Easter. Hey, back at you. Thank you. You had some interesting comments. You were on a radio show and you talked about 9-11 uh, and you have, um, is it a theory or you just, you just don't believe the government account of what happened uh, on 9-11? I just had questions. Yeah? I had a lot of questions. And um, the forum I chose to, to voice those questions in is the Alex Jones radio show. Mm -hmm. And um, just because he's a guy that I've been a fan of and followed for a lot of years. And, um, you know, I got attacked. I mean, there were a lot of hit pieces. The reaction was Yeah, people get severe. very mad get when very celebrities mad. have you know, opinions. No, I understand. Yeah. I understand. I know he's not qualified. He doesn't, uh, you know, he's just, uh, who the hell is he to, to, to have an opinion about something so, so horrible. And, you know, it's, it was sad because they didn't really take a look at any of the stuff I was asking them to look at, any of the evidence or any of the stuff that generated those questions, you know. And they said, oh, he's... Uh, He's another tinfoil hat wearing Hollywood clown, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like the only, you know, I felt that the only um, real uh, uh, validation I needed was just being a, a, a tax-paying American that loves my country. Yeah, and you, I mean, it's just something that you wonder about and you would like to know more about, sure. I, I assume. And do you, sure. do you study the tapes and you... I've done a lot of research, and it's not just me, it's the people that have come before me, the, the, the experts and the... the uh, 
the engineers and the physicists and the scientists and the scholars that, that, that raised a lot of these things. And I, and, I, and I took a look at their research and said, yeah, it doesn't add up. A lot of it doesn't add up, hence these questions, you know. And there's, there's two areas. There's Building 7 and there's the five frames from the Pentagon. Don't listen to me. Do your own research. Drug-fueled nights with porn stars, marital woes, and very public squabbles about his job. Yeah, we're in forced hiatus. They said, uh, you get ready, we'll get ready, and I got ready, I went back, nobody's there. All these radio rants have people thinking Charlie Sheen is has got to be on drugs again. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I am on a drug. It's called Charlie Sheen. Um, it, uh, it's not available because if you try it once, you will die. Your face will melt off and your children will weep over your exploded body. Um, too much. So uh, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's just, I, I, again, I woke up and decided, you know, I've been kicked around. I've been, I've been criticized. I've been like the aw shucks guy with like this bitch in rock star life. And I'm, I'm just finally going to completely embrace it, wrap both arms around it and love it violently and defend it violently through violent hatred. I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm just, uh, I'm here and I'm ready. They're not. Bring it. Finally, CBS had enough, shutting down two and a half men for the rest of the season, putting Sheen and the entire staff out of work. Were you shocked when they shut down two and a half men again indefinitely? Um, yeah, I was, I was actually disappointed because I thought, you know, I think the, the, the mistake, mistakes I made um, is that people misinterpret my, my passion for anger. Stopping this show is costing an estimated quarter of a billion dollars all around. It's going to cost Everybody a lot involved. more. It's going to cost them a lot more because they're on a battlefield and they let their emotions and their ego, um, basically they strapped on their diapers. And so um, they're in breach. They're in radical breach. And sorry, guys. You screwed up. Are you going to sue? Well, I mean, wouldn't you? I don't have a job. I got a whole family to support and love. And uh, people beyond myself, people a lot more important than me, are relying on that money to uh, fuel the magic. What know? are you going to sue for? Tons. They're going to actually put it on a scale and be like, a little more, a little more. Ah, add some gold, add some gold. Bingo. I'm here to collect. You know? And they're going to lose. They're going to lose in a courtroom. So I, I would recommend that they do an out-of-court settlement and fix this whole thing and pay the crew and get season nine back on board. But that could be tough. Sheen has been accused of being anti-Semitic in some of his remarks about the series creator, Chuck Lorre. It's nothing inside of deplorable that a certain Heim Levine, yeah, that's Chuck's real name, uh, mistook this rock star for his own selfish exit strategy, bro. Really uh, upset. Um, about how something was interpreted that I feel terrible about. So I think we should clear the air on that. You know, they, they, they were like suddenly labeling me an anti-Semite. It's like people that know me, that, that, that there's nothing about that in my history anywhere. I think the problem was, though, is that he goes by the name Chuck Lorre. His real name is Charles Levine. Right. You chose to call him Heim Levine. So you, you took the Hebrew version, oh. which I think people were wondering, why would he do that? I he says it was a joke after seeing the name in a brief message posted by Lorre himself at the end of Two and a Half Men. I would say, um, you know, I'm sorry if I offended you. I didn't know you were such a, I didn't know you were so sensitive. Sorry if I offended you. I just thought, you know, after you wailing on me for eight years that I could, like, take a few shots back, I didn't know you were going to take your little ball and go home and punish everybody in the process. Are there any drugs in this house? To my best knowledge, no. No drugs in the house right now? Not that I know about. If I know about them, I'll find them and throw them away. It's not a big deal. Ooh, drugs in the house. What about the people <laughs> who su supply you with drugs? Are they out of your life? I, 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 again, I cannot speak about things that, um, that are sort of, you know, 
I just, that's really nobody's business. I think you know the answer to that, you know. an interview that Charlie Sheen did with ABC correspondent Amanda Canning and where he passionately defends his lifestyle of drug use and partying but it all started with a radio show rant last Thursday that prompted CBS to cancel the rest of the season of his hit sitcom and we just want to show a little bit of the clip and then you'll meet the man he was talking to take a look I'm Levine, yeah, that's Chuck's real name, uh, mistook this rock star for his own selfish exit strategy, bro. Check it, Alex. I embarrassed him in front of his children and the world by healing at a pace that, that his unevolved mind cannot process. Okay, last I checked, Heim, uh, I've spent, I think, close to the last decade, I don't know, effortlessly and magically converting your, your tin cans into pure gold. Well, joining now is the radio show host and close friend of Charlie Sheen, the man he was talking to, Alex Jones. Welcome. Thanks for having me. If I could just say one thing, I've known Charlie for about six and a half years. He's never drunk alcohol, used drugs in front of me. He's been completely clean for almost a decade until about seven months ago. Now he's come off the drugs and the alcohol, which is almost like you know being off your meds. It has the same effect. So he's supercharged. He's angry. He's focused. Uh, and I know that when they interviewed him at his house, because I talked to him, they interviewed him for about two hours. And that's a little kind of joke uh, that's uh, out of context. He's tired of being judged and uh, him being held up as the ultimate demon in this world. He didn't kill a million people in Iraq. Uh, he wasn't involved with the takedown of Building 7 here in New York. And he thinks there's bigger devils out there uh, than himself. And Chuck Lorre's put out a whole bunch of these cue cards while having management tell him a month ago, if you speak out against four episodes being cut, we're going to fire you. Then he, then he starts putting out all of these... Uh, Chuck uh, yes, uh, Chuck Lorre. He starts putting out... He starts putting out vanity cards, not just on Two and a Half Men, but on other shows saying, Charlie Sheen is dead inside and soulless. You didn't show the worst one there. And so Charlie's told, we're tying your hands. Now we're going to beat you up for whatever so, contract. Let me, let, me, let me ask you. So the, the, the question that I have is, who's, so you're saying Chuck Lorre started this? With the vanity card. With the vanity card. And up front had management, according to Charlie. And I've been there when he's on the phone with his management or his manager comes over. You're too fast for me, baby. Slow down. Well, I know we don't have a lot of time. I'm right, on record. Right, right, right. They told him, they, before he said a word, they said, we're doing this, and if you criticize it, you're going to be fired. And he said, why are you telling me this? You know, I'm going through a hard time right now. But he didn't understand it then. I think they're trying to make him quit or something, so I have to pay out his contract or the $100 million in syndication. I think there's some shenanigans going on here. But and then they start the putting these going. things out. Then they start putting these vanity cards out, uh, trying to prod him and push well, him. People put vanity cards out. I don't think people know. Okay, most, most shows have a logo at the end, you know, like a little dog or the MGM lion. Uh, Chuck Lorre uh, has these uh, big write-ups at the end of his show. And imagine at the end of the show with Charlie Sheen and other CBS shows. This is on air. This is on air saying this man is soulless. This man is dead inside. Uh, I mean, you, Let me ask you this. Do you think, because from that clip that we saw, a lot of people would ascertain, okay, or assume that Charlie was on drugs again. You say he wasn't. Do you think he's, he's taking blood tests? Do you think he's? I've been at his house when they come right. in. Take the blood. I take, take the urine. That. I take your. I was there that. two weeks ago. Do you? I, I hear you. Do you think he's manic depressive? I mean, as a friend, do you say, okay, this is something else. You guys are missing the boat. It's not the drugs. He's actually suffering from manic dis manic no. depressive disorder. Let's just remember, you know, Charlie's been a star. Charlie's been a star for thirty years, and all people know about is these episodes where he explodes. The Charlie Sheen I know is a compassionate guy who's really smart. So 
episodes where he explodes. You don't I mean, think he was saying, uh, you know, this is the best thing that happened to the people who are with me. They're never going to regret I it. They had magic. the best. And, you know, this is on drugs, tearing up rooms in hotels. What about that explosion? I know this. I don't use illegal drugs, but when I quit smoking, I've had a long battle with that. I feel horrible for a week, and about a week later, my wife says, please, just go back to smoking sometimes because I get so manic. And I think we have a similar physiology. A lot of people have that physiology. Yes, he was not giving it up at that point. He was on the drugs and booze. Oh, oh, you're talking about the last few months. Do you think there's something underlying here that people are missing as a friend? I just think that he's somebody going through a hard time who got clean, and that's why I went out to California to help him. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's wrong for them to be prodding him, yes, and demonizing him and trying to make him blow up. That's actually what I believe is going on here. They should all just shake hands, bury the hatchet, come together for the crew of two and a half men. I want and uh, try to support Charlie, but also Chuck Lorre, everybody else. But but understand what happened. Okay. Okay. Worried about him. But, but Charlie's tired of being held up like the devil. We got the TSA putting their hand down people's pants. Infowars.com covers it all. Okay. We've got the banks bankrupting the U.S. Wait, 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 wait. We're sticking with. Let's stick with Charlie because that's way too much. No, no, for me, Charlie man. is mad because he's held up I as all the He didn't steal 23.7 trillion. Okay. Okay. Like we're deserve. just here to, t- to figure out what is happening with Charlie. That's what we're trying to and, figure out. And he has. He's doing interviews now, so he has a chance to speak for himself. And but he they're taken out of context. Not, they are not there. Him to him oh, they've been comparing him to Gaddafi. Look, I, I, I was just saying, I don't think I've Let's compare George Bush, a million dollar Iraqis, to Gaddafi. I think we were here to talk about Charlie Sheen. I'm not trying to cut you off. Charlie says you have a right to kill him, but not to judge him, as Colonel Kurt said. Thank you. You are certainly a wonderful friend. Thank you. Charlie, stay clean. We love you. And everybody else out there, stay clean. Don't use drugs. Infowars.com. That's a good message. Okay. Infowars.com. It was good to see you a few weeks ago at your home. You are looking looking great. You're completely clean, aren't you? 100%. You know, here's your first pee test. Next one goes in your mouth. No, you won't get high. You know, it's it's just strafing runs in my underwear before my first cup of coffee because I don't have time for these clowns. I don't have time for their judgment and their stupidity. And, you know, they lay down with their ugly wives in front of their ugly children and just look at their loser lives. And then they look at me and they say, I can't process it. Well, no, and you never will. Stop trying. Just sit back and enjoy the show. Anyway, thought you were just messing with one dude. Sorry. Winning. Well, Charlie, I mean, I tell you, it is amazing, uh, and uh, I just appreciate you coming on today so folks can really hear the, the energized, unleashed um, uh, Charlie Sheen. You wanted to talk about AA because, you know, when I was at your house, I said, man, great job being completely sober and, you know, uh, uh, how important well, no, it was. But, but, but I can't use the word sober because that's a term from those people, and um, I'm just, I've, I have cleansed myself. I closed my eyes, and in a, in a nanosecond, I cured myself from this ridiculous model of, of disease and addiction and obsession. It's just, it's just the work of sissies. Um, the only thing I'm addicted to right now is winning, you know? Uh, the, 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 this, the, this bootleg cult, uh, you know, arrogantly referred to as Alcoholics Anonymous, is, Alex supports a 5% success rate. My success rate is 100%. Do the math. Take, for instance, its founder, a desperate and, I don't know, broken down plagiarist, uh, stayed high on acid until the day he died. I can't seem to find that chapter in his silly book of lies. And then, Alex, try to get your mind around this as a, as a fellow warrior deep in the trenches. Um, 
their entire manifesto is built upon a complete and total surrender, or the concept of complete and total surrender. They urge you to put down your sword and come join the winners. Uh, in 22 years, the only winners I could locate in their toothless warren were either driving a convertible van or living like trolls under some abandoned bridge. Another one of the stupid mottos, Alex, is uh, don't be special, be one of us. Newsflash, I am special, and I will never be one of you. There it is. You sound like Thomas Jefferson. Well, I'm not Thomas Jefferson. He was a pussy. This investigative report on the CIA's involvement in drug trafficking. A ton of cocaine, pure cocaine worth hundreds of millions, is smuggled into the United States. Sound familiar? Not the way this ton of cocaine got here. According to what the former head of the Drug Enforcement Administration told Mike Wallace, this drug shipment got here courtesy of what he calls drug trafficking by the CIA in partnership with the Venezuelan National Guard. And what reason did the CIA have for promoting this drug smuggling? Well, the only rationale that's ever been offered is that this would lead to some valuable drug intelligence about the uh, Colombian cartels. The CIA and the Guardia Nacional wanted to let cocaine go on into the traffic without doing anything. They wanted to let it come up to the United States, no surveillance, no nothing. In other words, you weren't going to stop them in Miami or Houston or wherever. Uh, these drugs were simply going to go to the United States and then go into the traffic and eventually reach, reach the streets. That's what they wanted to do, yes. And we had very, very lengthy discussions where I told them what the U.S. law was and the fact that we could not do this. So here you've got Jim Campbell, chief of station, who knows about this. Mark McFarland, CIA officer, knows about this and are stimulating this, this business of sending what are uncontrolled deliveries of drugs, smuggling drugs into the United States, right? Right. As Oliver North's public battle over government secrets and the illegal supply of weapons to the Nicaraguan Contras is waged in Washington, congressional investigators in recent months have tried to learn if Mena, Arkansas was an illegal staging area for shipping guns to the U.S.-backed Contra rebels. It all begins in 1982, when this man, Adler Berryman Seal, showed up in Mena, Arkansas. He used to smuggle drugs, then he got caught and he became one of the government's most valuable informants in the war against cocaine. But last night in Louisiana, Barry Seal's enemies caught up with him and killed him. 17-year-old Kevin Ives and 16-year-old Don Henry were struck by a train. The medical examiner has said that the boys were asleep and drugged with marijuana. The parents, however, disputed that claim. The boys were killed because they had stumbled upon a large shipment of drugs dropped from an airplane. Tears in the fabric indicate that Don had been stabbed before he was run over by the train. In light of this new evidence, the grand jury changed this ruling from probable homicide to definite homicide. I'm scared of these people. I'm very scared of them. How you think the crack drop gets into the country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. We are not the people who are flying and floating that shit in here. I will tell you, Director Deutsch, as a former Los Angeles police narcotics detective, that the agency has dealt drugs throughout this country for a long time. The men who were working for the CIA's army were responsible for bringing all that cocaine into Los Angeles that sparked the crack epidemic. My boss goes on a fishing trip with George Bush, and when they come back, they say the ends justify the means. You know how they say that everybody has a purpose in life? Well, at one time I felt that 
Selling cocaine was my purpose. We were starving, just looking for a way to, to succeed. The first time I seen rock cocaine was 1980. Murder rate was sky high. South of the 10 freeway was kind of a no man's land. So, you know, we're selling it to the blacks. So you go to these neighborhoods, you, there's no cops, you can sell it where you want, and when they start killing each other, nobody cares. I was going through like a million dollars worth of drugs just about every day. That's like gold. We can make a fortune. He was maybe the biggest guy in LA. Rick, Rick, Freeway Rick. Freeway Rick was getting his dope from a very big operator. I think we're into something that's bigger than us, something we really can't deal with. They had been trafficking on behalf of the United States government. She could prove what she was saying. The story was mind-boggling. When I was young, let me tell you how it was when I come from. As I've said before, no drug network will remain alive. There's a lot of people who think that, you know, I made that whole thing up. What they don't realize is the CIA admitted it. See, I didn't know until I was sitting in prison how valuable an education was. Yeah, drugs suck. Drugs are really bad. But the drug war is worse. You want to know a version of hell, be the only guy playing straight in a dirty card game. And that's what the drug war is. There are more people in prisons and jails today just for drug offenses than were incarcerated for all reasons in 1980. Me being here is defying all odds. People don't get federal life sentences and beat them. We've been spending billions and billions and billions of dollars every year on this war on drugs to find out that the government was involved. That's pretty astonishing. Crack in the system. This is Los Angeles. Even if the government just turned a blind eye and didn't do anything about it, then you have to start questioning the whole system. Back to your situation, the Iran-Contra scandal. What was going through your mind with all of that stuff? When you looked up and you saw all of that dope coming in, you knew you was moving it, but then you knew you was being entangled with a whole bunch of crazy people. Well, I really didn't know about them until I started trial. Uh. I didn't know, you know, I thought that, that I was a rebel against the government. You know, I didn't mm. know that I was doing what the government wanted me to do. How I didn't did know Ronald Reagan and, and George Bush was tied and Oliver North was tied into that. You know, how would I know? I was a kid out of South Central LA. When they, Did I ever think I'd be tied in with the CIA and the White House? Never. When I woke up that morning, one morning I wake up, and a dude is knocking on my door saying, man, the CIA director is in the newspaper talking about you. I couldn't believe it. Hmm. And then the next day, uh, Bill Clinton is talking about me. I'm like, wow. What was going through your mind when you seeing that taking place? You got the president and the head of the CIA with your name in their mouth. Unbelievable. And then they even topped that. You know, the CIA director comes down to South Central L.A. to address a panel of, uh, of people that want, want answers. You know, mm -hmm. they, they want answers, and they come down there, man. If you see the documentary, you can see my crime me giving the blues. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we finna get... I think they come down, he come down that, either that Saturday or that Sunday, and then we go into court Tuesday to get sentenced. Mm -hmm. And uh, he sends one report to the courts that uh, the CIA had no involvement mm -hmm. with cocaine, but then when he talks to this panel, he's saying that the investigation is continuing. Mm -hmm. 
And if they're going to get a full report, well, you know, my crime, he gave it to him about that. Yeah. So, um, it all was exciting, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And, 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 you know, it's been an amazing ride. Mm hmm Reporter Gary Well, him coming in and helping out. Well, you know, uh, Gary was, was, wow, Gary was a tremendous dude. On December 10th, 2004, investigative journalist Gary Webb was found shot in his apartment. No! You lying! No. When? Saturday. Oh, man. Well, he used to tell me that, that, that he would come home at night and there'd be guys, you know, climbing up the pole and late at night, 12 and 1 o'clock, and, and, you know, at nighttime. And, People find him around everywhere he goes. He has, he has cars telling him, and his phone was tapped. And he was just saying that they they were they were kind of like giving him the blues. You know, a lot of things were going on that that that, that he didn't really like. And he said it was the government too. By the way, the head of the DEA, his name is Rob Bonner, who's a friend of mine uh, throughout the first George Bush administration, said, documented that yes, the, the CIA was involved with the importation of a fair amount of cocaine uh, with regard to the Iran-Contra, etc. But it just has to happen because of the money. We understand what you're saying. A ton of cocaine was smuggled into the United States of America. Well, they... In cooperation with the CIA? That's what... That's exactly what appears to have happened. While I was in custody, you know, we're going to trial. The guy who introduced me to drugs testified against me. And then we found out that he was working for not only the DEA, but also the CIA. So he basically didn't do any time in jail. He, he got caught uh, uh, with, I think, 10 tons of, of cocaine or something like that there. I'm, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but much, much larger than, than, than mine because he sold... Not only to me, but other guys in other parts of the country as well. Uh, it's fortuitous that Ricky's on right now because they're trying to put him back in jail for going around and doing radio interviews. He's been told, don't do radio interviews anymore. Don't be politically involved. Don't talk about CIA drug dealing. Uh, don't try to put community organizations together. Uh, or we're going to spin that and put you back in prison. So he's facing that after decades in prison. He was the biggest uh, narcotics trafficker in West Coast history. And Gary Webb's Pulitzer Prize winning piece, Dark Alliance, exposed it was for the CIA. And, of course, Gary then was planning to come on my show soon. He had his new book coming out. And uh, they shot him twice in the head and killed him, and it was ruled a suicide. And now Ricky joins us as a free man for now. Uh, and, uh, Ricky, uh, we appreciate you having the courage to, to, to come on this radio show today. You give me the courage uh, when I see people like you do what you do. It gives me the courage to stand up and do what I know that I'm supposed to do. Well, you, you do have a lot of courage, and I'm not going to sit here and judge you for a man who uh, you know saw prohibition of narcotics as a way to make uh, hundreds of millions of dollars. But the larger crime is the people that made them illegal to create the giant black market. Now, here you are all these years later. Geraldo Rivera goes to Iraq. They admit the troops are growing the opium, giving them the fertilizer and shipping it out. Now they can't hide it. They just admit it. Uh, they now admit Sinaloa cartel on the U.S.-Mexico border ships in tens of tons a month for five years, totally authorized. And then the ATF ships them guns, goes back before Obama. 
they're not getting in trouble. But we're told you're the bad man, and now they're trying to throw you back in the slammer. How could this be possible? And then we read through the documents, and then that's when Gary Webb started explaining it to us, and we was like, everything came together now. One of the most paramount moments, perhaps caused by Gary Webb's Dark Alliance, took place in November of 1996. It was a monumental historic event. I mean, the director of the Central Intelligence Agency was coming to Watts to face the people. Now, we all know that the U.S. government and the CIA supported the Contras and their efforts to overthrow the Sandinista government in Nicaragua in the middle 80s. Now, it is alleged the CIA also helped the Contras raise money for arms by introducing crack cocaine into California. Deutsch felt he had to do something to try to uh, deal with the outrage that was foaming all over the country at the time. And of course, it just blew up in his face. CIA fights drugs. CIA does not encourage drugs. I mean, it was, it was actually one of the most monumental blunders of all time, uh, if you think about it. We have no evidence of a conspiracy by the CIA to engage in encouraging drug traffickers in Nicaragua or elsewhere in Latin America. Deutsch was there because of the Gary Webb stories. The Gary Webb stories had sparked a national furor. I would like to have Richie Ross's uh, brother to speak, please. The United States government turned their head and let this cocaine come into the United States of America. Allow Gary Webb to have full access. This whole thing is orchestrated. It was near pandemonium. It was about, I guess, 1,200 people in standing room only in the auditorium. 2,000 people outside listening on loudspeakers. And uh, it was very hard to keep control. I got called on finally, and I said to her very clearly, I was talking, looking right at Deutsch. I am a former Los Angeles police narcotics detective, and I work South Central Los Angeles, and I will tell you, Director Deutsch, that the agency has dealt drugs throughout this country for a long time. <laughs> Director Deutsch, I will refer you to three specific agency operations known as Amadeus, Pegasus, and Watchtower. I have Watchtower documents heavily redacted by the agency. I was personally exposed to CIA operations and recruited by CIA personnel who attempted to recruit me in the late 70s to become involved in protecting agency drug operations in this country. He stumbled and stammered and wrung his hands. If you have information about CIA illegal activity in drugs, you should immediately bring that information to wherever you want, but let me suggest three places. The Los Angeles Police Department. And of course my response was, I started there 18 years ago, sir, and they tried to kill me. Now what do you want me to do? We were working with Barry Seal. He was another group. Barry had been a TWA pilot and a Vietnam War pilot before that. Barry was, out of everybody, the best pilot that I ever saw in my life. And he drifted into the Colombian cartel market as a delivery specialist and got himself involved in guns, money, and drugs through flights in and out of Managua, Nicaragua, where he enjoyed the protection of president of Nicaragua. Barry Seal had the most incredible operation I'd ever seen. I'm not a drug smuggler. I say prove it. Barry was fearless. You know, 1,000, 1,500 kilos of coke was like a joke to him, and it was not a problem. Barry worked out of Louisiana. 
He'd work on the drop of a hat. He didn't care. He'd get in his plane and he'd go down there and he'd throw a thousand kilos on the plane and he'd come back to Louisiana. He landed at a regular airport. He had a warehouse. They had ramps in the back that would open up and you could drive vehicles into them. You could put tons on these vehicles. Barry got busted on a load and didn't tell anybody. He cut himself a deal as a federal confidential informant. They would let him go and they would install cameras on the inside of his plane. And they wanted him to film an actual loading, bring the coke back here and the film back here. And he agreed to do this. The army brought in the uh, truckloads, the duffel bags full of cocaine, and they were loaded on board the aircraft by the Cuban and Sandinista soldiers. And he had some great shots. Barry Seal was able to snap pictures during the mission of a leading international cocaine trafficker, Sandinista government official, soldiers loading cocaine onto the plane. The top Nicaraguan government officials are deeply involved in drug trafficking. And on national TV, President Reagan held up this picture and said, here's Pablo Escobar loading a plane with cocaine. This picture, secretly taken at a military airfield outside Managua, shows Federico Vaughn, a top aide to one of the nine commandantes who rule Nicaragua, loading an aircraft with illegal narcotics bound for the United States. The pictures were produced by Barry Seal. He has thus become the key witness in South Florida's most important drug case. She also told the President's Commission on Organized Crime how easy it is to smuggle cocaine. My initial experience was with marijuana, but I soon moved into cocaine because of its ease in handling and its profit structure. Today's indictment charged Seal with conspiracy to possess and distribute 462 pounds of cocaine with a street value estimated at $168 million. In return for Seal's cooperation, the Justice Department will allow him to plead guilty to the charges in today's indictment and receive what amounts to a slap on the wrist. I've reached exactly the uh, type of settlement that I wanted to reach. Whether they're happy or not, you'll have to ask them. And despite numerous pleas, that judge in Louisiana refused to drop a six-month house arrest order, which was a meaningless, totally meaningless order in the scheme of things. It was speculated that this judge knew, or should have known, that by publicly ordering where this man had to show up and at what time he had to show up and leave, he was issuing a death warrant for him, and, and certainly that's what happened. I was his co-pilot on this particular mission. Uh, our passengers were a uh, R. Young of the Arkansas National Guard and an M. Harari who represented interests of, the, of Panama and was uh, referred to as Ambassador Harari. M. Harari was actually Mike Harari, a Mossad agent. During the flight, uh, I had installed a recorder, a cassette tape recorder that recorded all conversations on board the aircraft. We did uh, activate that recorder during the flight. Uh, the personnel in the back of the aircraft talking on our private intercom uh, did not know that what they were saying was not private. In the conversation between Mr. Harari and Mr. Young, uh, Mr. Young was asking Mr. Harari basically uh, what's going on here. Uh, but he says, Arkansas has the capability to manufacture anything in the area of weapons, and if we don't have it, we'll get it. Harari said in return, how about government controls? Well, Young then came in and said, the governor's on top of it, and if the feds get nosy, we hear about it and make a call. Then they're called off. We credit top dollar for the product. Still looking confused, Buddy, Buddy was still looking confused, and Mike continued. Look, one gun and 3,000 rounds of ammo is $1,200. A kilo of product is about $1,000.
we credit the Contras $1,500 for every kilo. That's top dollar for a kilo of cocaine down here. It's equivalent to the American's Kmart special, buy four, get one free. On our side, we spend $1,200 for a kilo and sell it for $12,000 to $15,000. Now that's a profit center. And the market is much greater for the product and for the weapons. It's just good business sense, understand? Harari, the Mossad agent, said in return, it's good when it works, but someone, how is, how is, how do you say, uh, has his hand in the coffer, buddy responding on the defenses. Defensive. Well, we get our 10% right off the top, and that's plenty. Goofus can make it go a long way. Harari responded to that. Who is Goofus? Governor Clinton. That's our pet word for him. You know, they call the president POTUS for president of the United States. Well, we call Clinton Goofus for governor of the United States. He thinks he is, anyhow. Ah, uh, hell, Mike. Everybody knows that Clinton's, Clinton wants that White House and will do anything to get it. That's why I'm here instead of someone else. We know about the cocaine. Hell, I've picked it up before with Lassiter when he was worried about going on to Little Rock Air Base to get it. Young said this, answering uh, Harari's question about uh, what's going on in Arkansas. Clinton thinks he's in charge, but he'll only go as far as Casey allows. That's a taped conversation between Mike Harari and Buddy Young. Buddy Young was the security chief for Governor Clinton of Arkansas. Sir, uh, the Republicans are trying to blame you for the existence of a small air base at Mena, Arkansas. This base was set up by George Bush and Oliver North and uh, the CIA to help the Iran-Contras, and they brought in plane load after plane load of cocaine there for sale in the United States, and then they took the money and bought weapons and took them back to the Contras, all of which was illegally, as you know, under the Bolin Act. But tell me, did they tell you that this had to be in existence because of national security? Well, let me answer the question. No, they didn't tell me anything about it. They didn't say anything to me about it. The airport in question and all the events in question were the subject of state and federal inquiries. It was primarily a matter for federal jurisdiction. The state really had next to nothing to do with it. The local prosecutor did conduct an investigation based on what was within the jurisdiction of state law. The rest of it was under jurisdiction of the United States attorneys who were appointed successively by previous administrations. We had nothing, zero, to do with it, and everybody who's ever looked into it knows that. Polk County Prosecutor Charles Blake, the man who initially attempted to investigate the MENA Arkansas criminal activities, would surely take exception to Mr. Clinton's assertion that, quote, the local prosecutor did conduct an investigation based on what was within the jurisdiction of the state law, end quote. In fact, it was Blake who went directly to then-Governor Clinton to seek funding for his investigation, seeing as how rural Polk County lacked the financial resources to deal with the CIA. When it became apparent that uh, nothing was going to be done on the federal level, that's when I began more actively pursuing it. Prosecutor Black, a Clinton supporter, met with the governor and handed him a letter requesting money for a state grand jury on MENA. His response to me was that he would uh, uh, get a man, something to the effect that he would get a man on it and would get word back to me. And uh, I never heard back. Years later, Clinton said he offered $25,000 to Prosecutor Black's boss to fund a grand jury. 
But Charles Black and his boss claim they never heard about any offer of money from Governor Clinton. George Bush Sr. came to Guatemala on January 13, 1986. And he approached me and asked me what I did uh, there at the uh, U.S. Embassy, what my job description was. And I told him I was a DEA agent working uh, uh, international narcotics investigations. And I told him, look, you know, we have gathered intelligence that the cartels are involving drug trafficking down in El Salvador. And then he just smiled, shook my hand, and, and walked away from me. And it was then and there that I knew that my government knew that these atrocities were occurring. Mr. President, uh, the senator mentioned drugs. He's said, he suggested in the past that you are, you bear some responsibility for the rise in drug use of teenagers in the United States. Is he right? Well, Jim, I believe that the federal government should give people cocaine with marijuana. Let me tell you what I've tried to do about it. I appointed a four-star general who led our efforts south of the border to keep drugs coming into the country, as our nation's drugs are. The most heavily directed, uh, decorated soldier in uniform when he retired. We submitted the biggest drug budget ever. We have dramatically increased casual drug use. The tragedy is that our young people cut cocaine use, and I regret it. I want to stop it from coming across the border. And in my administration, we're going to train the National Guard to stop it from coming across the border. And I won't comment on other things that have happened in your administration or your past about drugs. Let me say again, my family has suffered from drug abuse. I know what it's like, cocaine use, casual drug use. I don't think this issue should be politicized because my record is clear, and I don't think Senator Ohl supports youth using drugs. I think we just have to continue using drugs, cocaine with marijuana. Bill Duncan and I interviewed Barry Seal less than two months before he was killed, uh, and uh, he was served with a subpoena at that time. He was under subpoena to come to Arkansas and testify before the grand jury here when he was killed. Apparently, somebody in Arkansas wanted Seal dead because he was murdered before he could show up for that grand jury investigation. Very little is known about the distribution method that Seal had. We do know that one lumber truck from Mina was busted going to Kansas City. It had a lumber facade on the back. When you lifted the lumber up, there was a load of cocaine. Same driver drove the same route time and time again. Well, the owner of the lumber company was very close to Bill Clinton, Governor Clinton, Buddy Bean. They were never allowed to do a thorough investigation. The whole thing just uh, went down the tubes. Barry Seal's death conveniently prevented the grand jury from finding out who else was involved in the Arkansas drug smuggling operation. The media, while focusing on the Colombians, failed to recognize that Seal's testimony would have caused far more damage to his American associates. The assassination of Barry Seal would prove to be only the first step in shutting down Welsh and Duncan's investigation entirely. We continued to uh, pursue the investigation, but during this time period, the investigative process was becoming very difficult and we weren't able to get uh, uh, access to certain kinds of information that we wanted through subpoenas, certain kind of witnesses. Suddenly, we couldn't get subpoenas. How do you investigate out of a grand jury without subpoenas? How do you go to financial institutions and get records? You can't. Therefore, you can't investigate. You cannot follow the money trail. One um, deputy foreman of the grand jury uh, came forward and, and said that uh, the U.S. attorney was stonewalling, that he was trying to keep him from 
doing their job uh, with respect to the main airport investigation. You have witnesses in Fort Smith, Arkansas that said they overheard the assistant, one of the assistant U.S. attorneys up there say that they were told to kill the main investigation, that they were told to leave the main investigation alone, that they had indictments ready and they were told to drop them. Here's the case where two top-notch investigators are trying to do their jobs and didn't know why the federal government was interfering with their attempts to put a stop to the blatant narcotics trafficking activity of Seal and his associates at MENA. During the 1992 attorney general's race in Arkansas, either Betsy Wright or a member of Clinton's staff had approached Winston Bryant and had asked him to stay away from the MENA investigation. After um, Winston took office, Bill told me that uh, he was no longer allowed to discuss um, the mean airport investigation from um, the Attorney General's office. Clinton's interest in keeping a lid on the MENA affair intensified after announcing his candidacy for president. In March of 1992, the Attorney General's office was instructed by members of Clinton's staff to remove all files pertaining to MENA after it was learned that several newspapers were planning to file Freedom of Information Act requests as part of their investigations of Governor Clinton. A Gulfstream jet that crash-landed in Mexico in late September bearing a load of nearly four tons of cocaine was used by the CIA for trips between the U.S. and Guantanamo Bay. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Can I speak as a, uh, a retired uh, international covert operative for the Drug Enforcement Administration? Uh, what we're uncovering here through the hard and courageous work of journalist Bill Conroy is something nobody... Uh, Central Intelligence, FBI, they don't want this out there. They don't want anybody peeking under the rugs that Mark is talking about, about this plane crash carrying four tons of cocaine. Any kind of corruption you could imagine occurs. And when you talk about four tons of cocaine coming into the, into the United States uh, with the involvement of a man who worked as, as a, a pilot for CIA, DEA, and FBI, who was obviously somebody who was a shaker and a mover. Oh, not to worry. I've got some cocaine right here. Ah, okay. You think cocaine is a problem, but I've done it for 32 years. See, I am part of a group of responsible cocaine users.